0: Our Father, as we come to you through your Son, by your Spirit, his presence and power, we thank you that you have searched us and know us. You know when we sit down and when we rise up, you discern our thoughts from afar, not only just distance, but from all eternity. You search out our paths and our lying down. You're acquainted with all of our ways, and you're acquainted with the depths of who we are. And even before a word is on any of our tongues, you know it altogether. You hem us in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon us as protection over us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It's too high. We cannot really fully comprehend it. But how precious to us are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If we would count them, they are more than the sand. And when we wake, you are still with us. And our desire, O Lord, this morning is that we may think your thoughts after you, and you would send your spirit to awaken us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and that in that awakening, we may learn how better to please you to follow you, and to be your disciples. Therefore, O Lord, may the meditations of my mouth and of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, today we move to the last section of the Heidelberg Catechism. Yes! And we are going to a time of searching and thinking about prayer Prayer that is, at one one time, just so easy. You remember when you first came to Christ? How you loved to talk with him and commune with him and to be with him? That's part of my biography. It's also biographies that I've read of other Christians. It's just, I mean, you couldn't spend enough time with him. And then somewhere along the line... It became hard. Interruptions, worries, concerns. You feel like your prayers are bouncing off of the brass ceiling. You're focused on many things. And I'll tell you something. Oh, here it is. This thing doesn't help. You know, it's it's as bad when families get together and they're all pulling out their cell phone at the dinner table. It's worse when you're across the table and you're communicating with each other through your cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't turn it off. And so when it rings and goes, oh, I got to answer that. No, I'm in prayer. No, I got to answer that. It's so important. It was a telemarketer. <laughs> you know? All the interruptions we have, especially in our culture and our society, all the things we can do, all, everything that is around us, that surrounds us. And even the way... Life is portrayed. Now you've got to go to this party. you got to go to this place. you got to do this. And then you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm too so tired to pray. Well, that's what it is. And all of a sudden, prayer becomes very difficult. That's not only true for us, but I have a stinking perception that that was true for the disciples. They have been with Jesus for about... Uh, two and a half years, two years, and he has taught them by modeling, by teaching with words, and all of a sudden they come and they ask this question from Luke 11. Let's stand and hear the word of God. And I would remind you the Bible was meant to be bread for daily use, not a cake for special opportunities. And therefore, you eat it every day. Luke 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Dad, do, do not bother me. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And with this we end the reading of God's infallible, inerrant, permanent word. And you may be seated. So you have Jesus praying in a certain place. It doesn't say what certain place. But the the implication is that this is the place that Jesus went to time and time again to pray. And one of the disciples, again, does not name him. Now, I don't know whether it's to protect his reputation or it just wasn't one of the major disciples like Peter, James, and John. When they say something, their name is included in it. I maybe think Andrew would have been a good person only because of similarities. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. doesn't say, but this is their question. Lord, teach us to pray. Does that surprise you? I mean, think about it. These are good Jewish young men, they have been in the synagogue. They have listened to their rabbi talk to them about prayer and offer prayers and go to the prayer book of the Jewish synagogue, which was the one you have in your Bible, the Psalms. And they would have gone through the three, four, maybe five times a day in which they were called to pray. They would have heard the rote prayers of others. They would have had all the paraphernalia for their prayers. They had a prayer shawl they put over them. They had the bindings on their hands and forehead, arms and hands, that reminded them of who God is, El Shaddai, the Almighty. They are praying to the Almighty. They would have had uh, everything that they need, and yet they asked the question, Lord, teach us how to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. Well, maybe they thought, well, if John teaches his disciples and maybe he taught them a certain prayer, can you give us a prayer for our group? You know, just for us, us 12 and no more. So that we can say this prayer and we can say, this is our prayer. Don't dare say it. Or you're a good rabbi. Rabbis teach their students how to pray. Teach us. Or maybe And I think this may be more than anything else. Maybe they had been sitting, they had been living with Jesus, walking with him, listening to him, interacting with him, seeing him in every situation. And the one thing that they notice more than anything else is his prayer life. There's something different about his prayer life that they've never seen before, and they want to learn it. That's basically where this part of the catechism begins, and it is where we're going to take a look at prayer today. And I'm going to use this phrase as an outline. Lord, teach us to pray. Aren't you glad I went to eighth grade English and they taught us how to diagram? <laughs> this, is, this is where it all comes this is why you have 8th grade English it's not just to pay somebody so that you learn how to do this Lord that could mean several things we read it and what do we think about king sovereign king but remember the time span the disciples had been called They'd come from being fishermen, from being tax collectors, from some jobs we don't even know from where they came. They were just called. And especially the 12 who were with him, Jesus called. He commissioned them. He sent them out. He sent them out a couple times, first by themselves and then with 70, uh, some others, to go out and do the ministry. And he was teaching them. He was teaching them by mentoring them. He says, look at how I do it. Do it with me. Go out and do it on your own and come back and we'll debrief. That's the mentoring process. And he was doing that. He's commissioning them. And then they began to learn a little bit about who he is. Who do people say I am? Well, John the Baptist or Elijah. Who do you think I am? Peter pipes up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's one way of looking. And we, because we live on this side of the resurrection and with all the New Testament, that's how we normally think about that word. But the word can also mean, Sir. They may not have been totally convinced yet of who he was or is. And the best they could say, Hey, Sir, teach us to pray. Or along with that comes a word, rabbi you're our rabbi rabbis teach their disciples how to pray teach us how to pray we've seen it we've heard it help us why because they've seen something radically different in the prayer life of jesus if you look at the beginning or the few chapters before luke 11 you notice and even from the other gospels In Mark's gospel, it had been a very extremely long day for Jesus. He'd done teaching in the morning. He'd been with his disciples in the afternoon. Great crowds had come at the end of the Sabbath. He had healed them, and it says it was late in the evening, which is a way of saying, man, it was easily midnight if not past midnight. And then the next verse says, but early in the morning he got up and went to a desolate place to pray. I don't know about you, but when it's 12, 1 o'clock at night and I go to bed, last thing I want is that alarm to come off at 5 o'clock in the morning before the sun rises just to go out. But that's what's, that was a pattern of Jesus. They saw it again and again and again. He goes to the mountains and to the deserts to be alone. Here, he says, they went to a certain place, a place that he knew about, a place that they knew that he probably would go. And there is where he prayed. He prays at the drop of a hat. Luke 10, the disciples of the 72 returned talking about their ministry. He says, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he talks to them. And then he says, in that same hour, He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, verse 21, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. And he goes on. He's not interested necessarily in the report that they bring back, although he'd like to hear it. But he's more interested in turning and praying to his father for what took place and thanking him. And then he uses that word. Father, Abba, that intimate word between a father and a son, a word that has never been used in the Old Testament about our relationship with God. He was always El Shaddai. He was always Yahweh. He was always a more formal name. But here Jesus says, Dad, I am so glad that you have revealed this to them. And all of a sudden they see there's something radically different that goes on. And then he they, they had just finished Luke writing about the story of Martha and Mary. Martha who's running around cooking, cleaning her house, making sure everybody is comfortable. The ultimate hostess. Mary who's just sitting at his Jesus feet taking in everything he has to say, and Martha gets all upset about it and says to him, tell Mary to come back and help me in the kitchen. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, don't be concerned about it. Mary has chosen the better way, simply being at the feet of Jesus. Now that had to ring true and deep into the disciples. That the best place to be is at the feet of Jesus. So a certain one of them says, Lord, Rabbi, Sir, maybe a little bit more formal name, teach us to pray. In this, the catechism agrees with Jesus. When in question 116, it says, Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it's the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And because God will give, give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who earnestly and without ceasing ask, Him of, ask them of Him and render thanksgiving unto Him for them. Why is prayer necessary? Well, Jesus is saying it to them. You ought to be people of thanksgiving. I mean, I think that's part of why prayer was so natural when you were first a Christian. You were so thankful for the new life and the change that had taken place. You couldn't help but give thanks. The worst thing, at least one of the horrible things in in relationships, is somebody gives you a gift and you don't thank them. In our day and age, writing a thank you note has gone out. We may be put on Facebook. Well, that's kind of as, as impersonal as you get. Maybe we send them an email. But there's something about writing something out in hand and signing your name that makes it so personal. It shows your involvement in it. And the catechism also says prayer is one of the prime means by which God gives his grace and graces to us. His grace, that is his unmerited favor, when he sent his spirit to change you so that you then would believe and you responded in that in prayer as you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that he was who he is and that you then believed and you were justified. And out of that, God gave you not only grace, but graces, gifts, fruit, Ways of being and all of life. And they all came basically because you prayed. What's, it, what's? How does James put it? Why do you have conflicts and fights among yourselves? You have not because you ask not. Even in this section, Luke says, after he talks about ask and knock and Uh, seek he talks about how the father among you if his son asks for a fish will give instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg he'll give him a scorpion well that's a good dad if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him First time the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you never ask for it. It's a sovereign act of God. But after that, you need to continually ask for the Spirit to be alive and afresh and anew. Therefore, Paul will say to the Ephesians, Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, I know your translations and the way you memorize it was be filled. That's not complete enough. Be being filled. It's passive, but you have to ask for it. And when you ask, the Holy Spirit comes. And that has to be done over and over again. Why? I put it this way. We leak. The water comes in, and we just let it flow out. And we, we leak. But he said, the graces and the gifts and everything that God has for you come by prayer. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus showed them as the rabbi. Second of all, teach. I don't know anybody who doesn't say Jesus was a great teacher. Now, there may be people, I just haven't met him yet, but even the most liberal of all theologians will at least say Jesus was a great teacher, wonderful, marvelous teacher. And he did it in two ways. He did it by his words. So you have things like the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably only a footnotes or cliff notes of what he actually says. I mean, why would 5,000 or why would thousands of people come and you only speak for 10 minutes? It's about how long it takes to read it. Now, all Matthew did was write down the highlights. And yet Jesus not only taught in official settings, he taught as they walked. They'd be walking down the road and the dust would be kicking up and poor Thomas is way in the back going, <laughs> but Jesus is up front reminding them what he says here and teaching them again and over and over again because like they're like us. How many of you have ever picked up on something the first time you heard it? Usually it takes more than one. Now there are some very smart people who can do that, but most of us, we have to hear it over and over and over. So for three and a half years, he repeated himself to the disciples. That's why they knew it. He was a great teacher, but he was also a teacher by example. The way in which they primarily learned was not just hearing what he had to say about prayer or anything, but by listening to him pray listening to him and so when he says come teach us they are saying to us we have seen you pray and we want to pray the way in which you pray but you're going to have to not only in words but continually in action show us how it is you ought to pray prayer is natural prayer also needs to be learned there's no other way somebody has to mentor you in praying that's why through the history of the church the church in its worship service has had a pastoral prayer the pastor prays before his congregation not simply to lift up the needs and to pray but in his praying he's teaching them how to pray when you're in a small group the more mature need to teach the less mature how do you pray what do you say? I did it to you this morning because I like the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms. And I took the psalm that is my psalm for this day, 139. It's the 139th day of the year. And I prayed it back to the Lord. And if, you're, uh, if you know Psalm 139, you just heard it. And I was teaching you this is how you pray open up your prayer book. And just repeat back in your own words what God has written there. And I'll tell you what, God loves that. You know why? It's his words. You don't have to worry about my praying outside of the will of God. It is the will of God as explained and given to us. Or, like a mentor of mine taught me how to open prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you through your Son, our Savior and interceder, Jesus Christ, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's not a rote formula. It's a reminder to me to whom I'm praying. I'm not praying to my earthly Father. I'm praying to my Heavenly Father, who has given to me the intercessor, his Son, who is my Savior, and it all is accomplished by means of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm reminding myself, I'm coming to a triune God. And being a triune God, I can not only pray to the Father and Son, but I can pray to the Holy Spirit because he's just as much God as a Father and Son. And it's a way of helping me center my thoughts upon the triune God. There are all sorts of ways to do this. One of the books that I use is the Book of Common Worship, a 1946 edition out of the Presbyterian Church. It has a lot of these and thous, but I have the ability to turn a thee and thou into a you and yours. But these are patterned prayers that help. Help me, especially when I get up early in the morning and the coffee hasn't sunk in yet. And I need a little boost, a little jump start. I need AAA to come out and stick it to my battery. These are things to do. Valley of Vision, which is a great book of Puritan prayers. That'll teach you how to pray because they do that. There are abounding books of of good prayers, not me prayers. A lot of what comes out today. But you use them because you're being mentored in how then... Shall we pray? Teach us. And the Holy Spirit, through the great teacher, will teach you how to pray. He will teach you how to keep your day so that you are getting enough sleep so that when you wake up in the morning, you are ready to pray. He will teach you how you can pray throughout the day. For instance... When I see an emergency vehicle go by, it's like automatic. Lord, be with those people. Not only those who are driving and going, but to whom they are going. And be helping them. You don't know them. I don't have to. I know the one who does know them and knows what they're going through. I keep telling you about the people who cut me off. I pray for them. Lord, smite them with thy sword. No. <laughs> no. I said, Lord, they really need your help because if they keep this up, they are in for a disaster. So watch over them. Be gracious to them. You pray all the time. I, I pray when I see young families. I think, oh, Lord, be with them. <laughs> Do they know what they've gotten into? <laughs> no. But they... You pray constantly. I think that's what Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. Always be ready to pray no matter what the time is. That's the pattern of Jesus. And that's what he's here to teach us to do. The next word is us. One. Us. Me. It was a single disciple who asked that question. And so when he's saying Teach us. He is saying, yeah, teach the whole of us, but I need it. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to be consistent and constant in prayer. How to have a disciplined prayer life. How to put together, as one of the things that I have, is my little prayer book. You'll see me carry this around. And every day I have a subject for which I pray. I think it is Friday I pray specifically for the congregation. I pray throughout the week. But I have your names in this book. It's my book of life. (laughs) And some of you have check marks and some of you have... (laughs) But I pray for you specifically. And I write it down because my memory is not the way it used to be. And I don't want to forget anybody. Do you have a prayer list? Do you, you can do it this way. You can do it with three by five, four by six cards, whatever you do. You do it with a, a notebook. I find this easy because I can add it and subtract when I have to. But have you learned how to categorize so you're praying for people? teach me how to pray what works within your parameters of life of how you work best some of you probably will have it on your smartphone or in your computer because you are that literate some of us are illiterate in that way and so we'll go back to the old way but i have found this this can die And the information is lost. This, as long as I don't lose it, never dies. (laughs) It's new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. (laughs) That's just, but that's just my way of doing it. And I'm just an organizing person. I'd love to do it that way. But the Spirit will tell you, how can you do it? And then there is two, us which equals you all, or better yet, y'all, us as corporate entity. When you're out at lunch, when you're in the homes, when you have your meetings, when you have committee meetings or whatever you do, spend time praying. Did you ever notice how in the book of Acts this works its way out? Here you have Pentecost. They are finished. They have seen 3,000 come to Christ. And in verse 37 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says, When they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And in 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And listen, the prayers. It doesn't say prayers. It says the prayers, the dedicated themselves to the times of prayer that took place. When Peter and John were on their way to the temple and they healed the man uh, on their way, it was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was while they were going to prayer time because they were going to be corporately praying. That's part of it. When Peter is released, and John, are released from prison. Chapter 4 it says in verse 23, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up, they lifted their voices together to, together to God and said, and then comes a prayer, a very powerful prayer, to the place where the pla- the whole place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak the word in boldness. When Paul was released, or excuse me, Peter was released from jail by the angel. He's rescued. Verse 12 it says when he realized this that he was outside the jail, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. How did he know he ought to go to Mary's house, mother of John Mark. Because that's where they prayed. And he had a sense that they were praying for him then. And they were. But that was their place of prayer. And they gathered to pray when something took place. Great power is released in a congregation when the congregation is together in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote Why Revival tarries. So it talked about two things. It tarries, why? Because churches have done away with the prayer meeting. It's usually the first thing to go if you're over too, too busy. I don't know why. It just doesn't seem to be important. But congregations had left the prayer meeting go, and the power of the congregation drops. He said, It's a lack of prayer where there is no revival prayer by the people of God to the people up to the God of the people is absolutely necessary here in the summer we've added two evening activities worship study but also it can be a great time of prayer where the people of God gather together to pray. And so you, right now you pull out your smartphone, hit your calendar, mark it in, and you're there. I don't make it Sunday morning. I'm preparing, getting ready for this. But some of you need to really focus in upon getting to sleep early Saturday evening So you can wake up early to be here. And to be praying downstairs. More than just worshiping and singing together. But petitioning God. I love the way the Korean Presbyterians. That's what I know. The Koreans pray. When they get together for a prayer meeting. They all pray at the same time. I've been in a congregation of four or five hundred Koreans. And the pastor says, let us pray. And pandemonium comes. First of all, they're speaking in Korean and I don't understand it. But everybody is praying. And you sense the power of the Spirit when it's not just one person after another, after another. But everyone is lifting up their hearts before the Lord in prayer. And that's what it means when it says, us. And then the the last part. Is to pray. You know, prayer is simply a conversation with God. We have a lot of definitions, and if I had wanted to, I could have listed a whole lot of definitions for you. But that's just probably our way of thinking. Prayer, at its very fundamental part, is just talking with God. God talks to you by His Word. And then you talk back to God by his word. Sometimes wonder, I had wondered when I saw the outline of the catechism. And I look, why do you put prayer at the end of the catechism? Why isn't it somewhere around with justification by faith? Or how then do you believe? And I began to realize it's at the end because prayer is built on the rest of the catechism to know who God is. The God to whom you're praying so that you're not praying to a false idol or a God of your own making. To know the truth of the Word of God as it's given to us by the Apostles Creed and by what the Catechism says about our faith and our our sanctification. It is given to us at the end Because now we know the law of God and we know what he requires. We know as we look at that law where we have failed so we can confess our sins freely and correctly. And we also know what he wants us to do. We know because of the rest of the catechism how then what we ought to be praying. Because it's taught us all that. And you think we took a long time to get to this place because we need all this to get to this place. If you're going to learn to pray, you have to know God. You have to know his teaching. You have to know his law. You have to trust and know him, that he is a God who, when you ask, will answer. When you seek, will be found. When you knock, will open the door. And again, let me remind you we do a horrible job translating that, those verses. We look, ask, okay, once. And there's a whole movement that says all you gotta do is ask once and God, and anything more than that is, is horrible. Now, the word is keep on asking. That's why you have the parable of persistence. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You keep on asking until He listens. You keep on seeking until He finds you. You keep on knocking until He opens the door. Whether it's the door you want or not doesn't matter. It's His door to open. And you keep on doing that over and over and over again. Why? Because God wants it. I don't know about you, I get all sorts of phone calls. Mostly telemarketers. I didn't think they could do that with smartphones anymore. But when I see and I hear the ringtone I have for my children, I'm going, give me that phone! (laughs) Because I want to talk with my children. Sometimes they don't want to talk to me, but I want to listen. I want to hear. How much more will the father want to listen to his children in the depths of the need that you have? Prayer is the best service we have for God. How do you show love? You communicate. You talk. How do you show gratitude? Thank you. Thank you is not only a sign of gratitude. It's a sign of faith. Thank you, Lord, you're going to answer this prayer. Now just give me eyes to see what it is. It also is a means by which God operates. And that usually... Is a conundrum to people. Well, does that mean that if I don't pray, God isn't going to do something? No. It means if you don't pray, God hasn't called you to pray, and God hasn't desired to do anything that way. You see, it's not all upon us. God will push you to pray for things he wants you to pray for, and you'll want to, you'll desire it and he only will push you to the things that he wants to be done i mean how often do we pray oh lord give me a better job and all the time he's saying work where you are oh lord let me win the lottery and you're going to gamble to win the lottery (laughs) oh lord give me my pink cadillac (laughs) So I can glorify you and go, no, you're not going to glorify me in a pink like You're going to run around with your arm out the window and go, yeah, look at me, look at me. We use it for ourselves. But he says, he will prompt you to pray for people, for things, for everything that goes on. That's what he talks about. That's it's a means by which God operates because he will push you to pray for what he wants to have done. And it's a gift. All of his gifts come from prayer. You remember having birthdays? Some of us have had more than others. (laughs) You remember Christmas? Some of you, anniversaries? What's the first question? What do you want? And you have to come up with a list. I hate lists. Sometimes the person doesn't use the list and he guess he or she guesses correctly what you really need that's what prayer is prayer is putting together your list for what you need and just watching what god does to fulfill that list or to say nah you really don't want that you don't need that at all most of all prayer is a, a picture of a gift. Revelation 8. Which is a book. I think more about prayer and worship. Than it is about the end times. Revelation 8. It says when the Lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I ought to tell you something about your prayer life. Silence. Thing that people in our generation. In our time hate. Silence. If I were to be quiet for 30 seconds. You'd all be antsy. Why isn't he saying anything? Is he having a brain problem? We just can't take the quiet. Half an hour, it was silent in heaven. Imagine all the angels and the living creatures and everything going, well, shut my mouth. For half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of light, lightning, and an earthquake. Our prayers are mixed with that incense and they are a gift to God because from them, he does his work. So when you're praying, it's not, oh man, do I have to do this, Lord? Can I do this some other time? Oh man. It's actually coming to someone you love and says, here's my gift. It may not be very good. It may be like a third grader trying to build something where it doesn't really look very good But any parent who gets a gift from any of their children says, isn't that lovely? And God takes your prayers, whatever form, and says, aren't those great? Aren't those wonderful? It's also why we pray through the Son, because the Son has a way of taking our prayers and fixing them up before they get to the Father. And when He does that, they really come out looking good. Jason and I were talking about writing and how In our day and age, people like to end sentences with a preposition, which is bad, bad, bad. And even editors don't pick it up. And every time I read that, I go, no, that's crazy. What in the world were they thinking? A good editor will take that and turn the sentence around so it doesn't end with a preposition. Our good intercessor takes our prayers, turns them around, so they say exactly what they need to say. Now you know why you pray through Jesus? Because your prayers aren't worth much by themselves. But Jesus makes them more than worthwhile. That's what it is. So the confession will talk about praying with sincerity, the whole heart. Calling upon God in the depths. And the, the psalmist will talk about crying, weeping of prayers that are of, of tears where God collects those tears in a bottle and it's like they're his trophies because he sees the sincerity and the depth of, a, of the heart of his people. If you've ever been problems or you have done something that has been horribly wrong and you realize how horribly wrong it was and you start crying or at least to the best of your own ability you cry I mean, some just weep like this, and other of us, yeah, yeah, we cry a different way. It's a depth of sincerity, and God recognizes that. It comes out of humility. You remember how great our need is and how horrible we are, how the depth of our sinfulness, like Paul in Romans 7 talks about? But then we look and we see the greatness of the grace of our God, who loves us with an everlasting love, who knew us before time began, who sent his son long before we were ever an apple in our mother's eye, and before we ever did anything, he already paid for everything. And we pray with confidence. He will hear. He will respond. Ask anything according to my word, and I will hear it, and the Father will hear it, or the persistence of that Luke passage that's how we are called to pray that's how we are called to be before God and that's how the catechism ends in this section or begins the ending of this section Lord teach us to pray this should be the, one of the things you ask every morning Lord teach me this day how to pray how to do it better and better and better. So when you are, as I am, facing your 50th year as a Christian, your prayer life is a whole lot better than it was the first night when I just simply cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It should be horrendously better than what it is. How do you, what's the pattern, what's the model? Well the catechism gives it and this is what we're going to take a look at. So what I call the disciples' prayer because it was not Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is John 17. But he gave it to his disciples as a model. And I only not only call it disciples' prayer, I call it it's the kingdom prayer. This is how you pray for the kingdom of God. This is how you pray for the advancement of God's reign in this world. And for the weeks that I'm teaching or the weeks that are coming up, we are going to be taking and dissecting and examining the different parts of that prayer and what they have to say to us. So now you've got a preview. The big thing is take it to heart and begin to put into practice some of the things you are learning. Lord, teach us to pray. I guess it would be good to end with prayer, right? I think it would be a good idea. Well, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, how poor we are at the very thing that you love, probably the most important thing we do, and yet we realize over and over again how poorly we do it. Oh, we get good at analyzing scripture, and we get good at worshiping, and we get good at doing programs, and we get good of reading your Bible, and we get good in a whole lot of things. But Father, that which probably gladdens your heart more than anything else, we can be so poor. And even when we've done it for decades, we still have a whole lot more to learn. So it is my prayer, and i pray our prayer that in the weeks to come we would learn how to pray and our word our prayer would be that which the disciples said to you long ago lord teach us to pray for we keep on asking and seeking and knocking in your name lord jesus and all of god's people said amen